Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hello! Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for episode 408 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Queen Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to today's magical guest, Psychic Witch, Matt Oren. Woohoo! I've been wanting to have Matt on the show for a very long time, and he was worth the wait. You all are going to love this. And I also have to say that I have Queen on the brain because August 1st, the Queen program begins. This is the last round of Queen for this decade. Can you believe it? 2020 is right around the corner. So if, if you are a woman and you want to kick off 2020 feeling empowered wise, surrounded by a tribe of amazing, supportive women, please consider joining us. We begin August 1st, and I am looking to put together the most awesome group of women for, like I said, the final round of Queen this decade. And if you haven't yet done the free three-day video series, You Are a Queen, there will be a link around here to sign up for that. I highly recommend checking that out if you're curious about working with the Queen archetype. That three-day video series will give you an awesome introduction, an actionable introduction. And I stand behind it. I think it's pretty cool. And then because, because Mother Nature waits for no one, the wheel waits for no one, not even a queen, Lamas or Luna Saad is also August 1st, kicking off the autumn transition. So because I have queen on the brain, I'm actually not going to be doing any autumn transition content here. But what I will do for you is I will create, or I have already created, a 50% off discount code for those of you who want to do the autumn transition module of the Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year. And all you have to do at checkout is put discount code Summer of magic, no spaces, all lowercase, and it will automatically roll 50% off the price, and you can do that module. The autumn transition, all of the transition periods are about transitioning from one season to the next. So Lamas, Lunasad, it really marks like the dog days of summer. We're in the thick of it, but it's this little ray of hope that fall is coming. Fall is on its way and it's time to get really present to what is. Don't let summer 2019 pass you by because guess what? It's the only summer 2019 you will ever get. This is the last time the people you love will be this age. This is the last time your body will be this young. Enjoy your summer, people. I always think that the transition periods are a time to remember that, to really get present to what is, but then also to start looking forward to the season ahead and transitioning energetically so you can just ease on through the wheel of the year. And then, of course, as always, I have to give a very special shout out of appreciation and thanks to the amazing people supporting the podcast over on Patreon. Thank you all. I want to give a special shout out to new patrons, Lindsay Simmons, Stacy, just Stacy, Jennifer Boucher. Welcome back, Jennifer. Lauren Forbes and Queen Rebecca Hall. Woohoo! Yay, Queens! Speaking of queens, speaking of queens, this interview with Matt, we speak about Lori Cabot, who I actually had the honor of having on the show a few years back. But to me, Lori Cabot 
is a queen witch. She really has that energy, and it was fun getting to talk to Matt a little bit about Lori Cabot because he is a student of hers, and he works in her shop. And this whole interview, I just think you're really going to enjoy it. Matt is such an interesting person. We talked about what it's like to be a psychic reader during Salem's busiest partyingest time of year, like right around Halloween. We talked about the difference between West Coast and East Coast forests. And his take on that is so wonderfully witchy. That even if that little segment was the only thing I managed to capture here, I would I would think it would be worthwhile. <laughs> I would be like, my work is done here. It's so interesting what he had to say about the two different, like a forest in California and a forest in Massachusetts. We also talk about the witchcraft police and magic in pop culture. We talk about the time he met the devil and... Most importantly, his upcoming book, Psychic Witch, a metaphysical guide to meditation, magic, and manifestation. So let's just get into that right now, shall we? Without any further ado, here he is, Matt Oren. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I have long wanted to have you on the show, sir, so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yay. (laughs) So I tried to set this up last October and come to find out you are an extremely busy tarot reader and psychic in Salem, Massachusetts. And that was a very bad time to try to nail you down for something like this. So how long have you been doing that and what's it like? Um, Well, reading in Salem for, I think I'm going on my fifth or my sixth year. Mm -hmm. Um, The last couple years, I only read during October because my personal practice and my other projects have kind of taken the front seat. But yeah, October is, is crazy for me. I don't know if you've ever been to Salem during October. I went right before. I went at the end of September a couple of years ago, and it was awesome. We missed all the crowds, but yeah, there, yes. I am a witch, so there is. I do want to do that at some point just to see what, what the fuss is all about. Oh, it's so crazy. It's sort of like Mardi Gras, but like Halloween. Like it's so, it's hard to even walk down the streets, but it's a ton of fun. But as a professional psychic, it's a lot. So pretty much every day I'm reading tarot for people uh, eight to 11 hours straight. So Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't really put that together until I just heard you say that. It's all this super crazy energy. And then you're sitting there doing psychic readings. That is that's a conflict of interest <laughs> right there. So how do you how do you tune in and block out the noise? So that was one of my struggles initially, both on the mundane level, you know, like ordinary noise as well as psychically, all the psychic noise and all that psychic energy just constantly being on. We've gotten our own room now. The store has expanded, which is nice, and we have sound machines. So the store is Enchanted. Uh, It's on Pickering Wharf in Salem. It's not Lori Cabot shop, but it's Lori Cabot shop. Um, it's pretty much everything except uh, legally. She's 85 now, I believe. So she doesn't want to be running a store and all the business aspects of it. So it's ran by one of her priests, but she still reads out of that store. She still teaches out of that store and has products there. I love her. I had her on the show a few years ago, and she was wonderful. She's mind-blowing, especially. I I think she's responsible for some of that October witchy Mardi Gras thing going on in Salem every year, too. (laughs) Didn't she really kick that off with the witch's ball back in the day? Well, even even before that, I mean, when Lori came to Salem, it was pretty much a fishing town. But she wanted to set up shop there and educate people about what witchcraft was. And she chose Salem because of its history. So for her, it was kind of an act of 
reclamation and empowerment, which is very much in the heart and spirit of witchcraft in general. And she has educated countless people uh, from her store, from media, from her books. She used to teach at universities around Salem. So from that, more witches kind of started coming in and setting up shop. And um, she had the witches ball and that took off. And it's just become what it is today. It's kind of a uh, mecca for witches. Yeah. She is so bold and so punk rock, even at 85, I think. <laughs> I think it's you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who is more bold in expressing themselves as a witch and saying, this is a witch. This is what a witch looks like and acts like. And I'm in your face and you can deal with that however you want to. Absolutely. Um, And that carries into her personality in general. She's just a very strong and fierce person. She's still super compassionate, but she's definitely like that. There was a uh, article in a magazine a few years back by someone who set up uh, a, a new shop in Salem and wasn't really connected to Salem and they were saying how there's no real witchcraft in Salem and how they're trying to bring feminism to witchcraft and it's just sort of like Lori did that <laughs> Lori, yes. Lori you know Lori was super feminist um in her books and I don't know it was just it's it's one of those weird Columbusing type moments mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where that's a good feels, way to put it <laughs> Yeah, it just feels like someone coming into uh, somewhere and just taking credit for everything. Yeah. So I'm not naming names, but yes. Not (laughs) cool, people. Not cool. And also not cool that I totally derailed our conversation about (laughs) about how you're protecting yourself and focusing when you are doing these readings in October in Salem. So I actually have a couple uh, funny and interesting stories related to that. So the the funny one is my first year of my first October in Salem. I remember this woman was waiting in line for a reading. And uh, like I said, because it's just nonstop, even with multiple readers, people tend to have to wait. And when she finally got to me, she was like, man, this is like a psychic sweatshop. And I just started (laughs) busting up laughing because that's how it felt for me in the moment. (laughs) And I remember uh, near the end of October, I went out to dinner with some friends. And one of those friends was Penny Cabot, who's Lori's daughter. Mm -hmm. And I had this horrible migraine and it felt right where, you know, my witch eye or my third eye, whatever you want to call it, was it was just kind of pulsing and I told Penny and she just put her hand on my forehead and then removed it and it was like it never existed so from that point I was like okay well I need to figure out how to have better psychic protection and hygiene and things of that nature one of the things that I started doing that's a more kind of practical witchy thing is uh, something that Christopher Penzak advised, which is to grid my reading room with selenite, because selenite is sort of like an energy air freshener. And that helped a bit. But the biggest thing was learning how to turn on and turn off when I'm reading, because when I would get breaks, I would just start reading people like that were passing by and I didn't want to, Mm -hmm. you know. So one of the things that I talk about in my upcoming book, other than, you know, the practical steps to kind of shut down, is I've created for myself a physical trigger for that. So I wear a hematite ring, and every time I have that hematite ring on, I have the association set that I am not reading. So when I'm about to start a reading, I'll take it off, and that's sort of like uh, Pavlov's dog, you know, ringing the bell and... Uh, salivating. So it just kind of like for me subconsciously tells me, okay, we're reading. Okay. We're not reading. And then with the hematite, hematite's protective anyways, and not the best for psychic ability because it is so grounding that usually energy sort of just kind of passes through you. Wow. That is one of my all time favorite Tricks, And I learned it from Christopher Pinzak from reading about like his take on instant magic, programming triggers. But I often work with coaching clients with rings, telling them like 
<laughs> assign a ring to a particular, not just for people that are psychic, but when you're coming home from work and you're having a hard time getting the day off you. It's just so cool if you wear a ring, let's say, to work, and you kind of put it on at the beginning of the day, and that's to power you through the day for protection, whatever you want it to be for. But then when you get home, you take it off, and you keep it in a little dish by the back door, and it has that Pavlovian response. And the more you work with a trigger like that, the stronger it becomes, and you're basically programming yourself. So when you were saying that, I was silently screaming inside. I got, <laughs> I got excited to hear you say that. That's very cool. Do you live in Salem? I do not. I live about an hour away. Mm, that's probably good. A good yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you in the woods? I mean, I think that depends on someone's interpretation of the woods. For Massachusetts or New England, I'm not in the woods. Uh, but for people living in other places, it might be considered the woods. I live in Los Angeles. It's definitely the woods, Matt. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was one of the things... I had to go to Salem. My son and I, we do a birthday trip every year, and we chose Boston and Salem. And I had to go because it's witchy, but... Truly, what I loved the most about it was not the center. It was fun, you know, where all the witch shops are and everything. But mm -hmm. what I loved was just the whole vibe of, I guess, Massachusetts. The, the waterfront, the old Victorian homes, the nature. I just loved it. I thought it was so charming. And because I'm from Los Angeles, it's just a completely different world. Oh, absolutely. I um, lived most of my life on the West Coast, so I, I can see major differences in energy, yes. um, even in wildlife. So the redwoods versus New England forests is very, very different. The redwoods for me is very much like cathedral-ish. So it's very much like middle world reaching to upper world. Whereas the New England forest, I experience more as middle world reaching down to like underworld. Like there's a stronger, I would say almost like a fey energy here, which isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, but it's just, it's very, very different. You have a way of talking about things that normally don't resonate with me in, uh -huh. a, in a way that does I, no. like, truly like I don't know what it is I I really started with reading your posts on how do you say this Pathios is it Pathios it is yeah and I was just like okay he's talking about all the things that usually just kind of I don't know I I didn't come to witchcraft through any traditional channel a little bit of Wicca, but so a lot of that languaging and a lot of the ideas around it, they're just not for me. I'll just put it that way. But when you're talking about them, I'm like, well, this is fascinating. And I, you <laughs> like, I really feel connected to some of the things you say that I've heard so many other people say, but there's something about it when it comes from Matt Orr. And I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention. Go on, go on. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Where are you from? Originally? Kind of all over California. I was originally a foster care kid um, around the age of like four or five. And then after that, I kind of bounced around different foster homes, different family members, things like that. And then after high school, I moved around a lot when I was on my own. So all over. So like everywhere from um, San Diego to Los Angeles to Yosemite to Portland to Mount Lassen. When people ask, what do I mean by all over California? And they're like, California is a big state. And I'm like, I know. And I, I literally mean all over. Wow. Did you experience that as just being obviously a very sensitive person? How did you experience it as a as a challenge, as a threat, or did you enjoy it, or both maybe? Moving and all of oh. the new people and all of the being taken here, there, and everywhere. Like, how did that land with you as as a sensitive child? You know, I I think there's benefits and um, setbacks with that. So I think that a lot of my early childhood experiences were 
not necessarily what people would deem as positive, but they were sort of initiatory in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of my sensitivity is because of those experiences. So I think that there's there's the benefit of moving around and having all these different um, life events that it's molded me to be the person that I am. But also there's things that I am still working through on a personal level that are uh, more shadow oriented because of that, such as uh, ideas of feeling desired or feeling wanted. You know, that's kind of a a hard thing to, to um, embrace when you're a child that's kind of passed around. So it's sort of, you know, the blessing and the curse. Yes. Yes. When did you first know that you were psychic or when did your psychic abilities start showing themselves? Was it at that early age? So if I had to pinpoint it, I mean, I think I've had experiences all over, but the one that really sticks out for me was when I was maybe like seven, six, something like that. And I was living with my grandparents and my grandfather was fairly abusive in different ways. And I remember one day I got a phone call or he got a phone call from my teacher saying that I had been talking in class or whatever. So he called me out of school for a couple of days and the punishment was that I had to lay in my bed without electricity and the door shut for several days. And I could get up to use the restroom if he came in and allowed me to, and I could eat if he allowed me to. So being a young, restless, imaginative child, you know, being confined to not being able to use my body and having a bit of like sensory deprivation because of that, I I started having um, experiences while in that bed. I started also having questions. I realized that I could create energy from my hands and I could kind of wield it. Um, I also started uh, asking questions like, you know, what is it like, you know, when I fall asleep, like before I go to the dream, like what is that transition of consciousness? And I think that those things kind of uh, wired me in a way. And that's why I say it's, it's very initiatory in a way, because initiations traditionally are not necessarily fun. No, they're often very traumatic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would say that's fairly abusive. (laughs) Yeah, wow. So that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't mean to go prying into the depths (laughs) of the shadows, but I'm curious. I mean, you're a professional psychic. You write about some interesting, fascinating things. We're definitely going to talk about your upcoming book, but I just wanted to take people on a little journey here of getting to know you because you're such an interesting person and your book is not coming out for quite a few months. So we, I know. <laughs> we can we can get them hooked on, on your other writing that you've put out online, which is fantastic. And what I'm really curious about too is your curiosity, your, and also your humbleness in exploring a number of different traditions and always giving credit to your teachers on Pathios, it says of you, he is a graduate of Black Rose Witchcraft and a priest in Sacred Fire's tradition of witchcraft founded by Devin Hunter. He is a current student in personal mentee of Christopher Penzak and all the all the good people in the Temple of Witchcraft Mystery School, Lori Cabot in the Cabot Kent Hermetic Tradition, and Jason Miller in the Sorcery of Hecate. He is a devotee of the Covenant of Hecate, founded by Sarita de... How do you say her last name? Deste? I believe it's Dieste. Dieste. Okay, so that is... You're serious about this. Those are the people <laughs> you gravitate toward when you are serious about witchcraft. So what is that about? You know, I've always thirsted for magic. So ever since those early experiences and really, okay, this sounds really, really silly. And I talk about this a lot, but uh, one of my awakening moments, because when I was living with my grandparents, they were very evangelical and not just evangelical. They were Pentecostal evangelical. Oh boy. 
so, you know, everything's spiritual warfare and everything's, you know, the devil. And I somehow was able to see the movie The Craft. And when I saw The Craft, it was like finding God, you know, Mm -hmm. because although it's so fictional and it's so Hollywood, it still presented witchcraft as a thing that regular people could do. And for me, that was sort of mind blowing. So I remember going through my school library, checking out everything I could on witches. And um, usually that high school at this time. No, no. This is like elementary school, middle school, something like that. Okay, okay. And so that didn't turn up many results, right? Because it's like an elementary school library. The reason I'm like middle school, elementary, I'm not sure, is because the school I went to combined the two. Mm -hmm. And then high school was like a separate thing. So I eventually found uh, one of those Time Life books that they used to have on different mysterious topics, you know. And one was on witches. And in the back, they had a small section on modern-day witchcraft, modern for that time. And so, of course, it has, you know, um, Anton LaVey in it. And, like, the things that you would expect on something uh, that's, like, sensational about witchcraft. But there was one picture of uh, Maxine Sanders and Alexanders and their coven on a hill. And uh, the caption talked about Wicca. And so I was armed with a new word, Wicca, and I was really drawn to that that image. So I went to the school computer lab and I got on my Netscape navigator and I began searching Wicca and I came across Silver Ravenwolf's work. So I eventually, long story short, I was able to track down Silver Ravenwolf's books and they were something that I could understand as a child and implement as a child. And my path has always since then been sort of sparked in wanting to learn more and wanting to explore. So there have been periods of my life where I've totally strayed from what would be considered witchcraft to other spiritual practices, but they all sort of have the same spirit of magic and spirit work to them until I came full circle back to witchcraft. But I still... I very much see myself as a student more than a teacher. The the teacher thing is kind of uh, weird for me. I feel that if I ever stop learning and stop seeking, that's when it becomes a problem for me. Those are Um, the greatest teachers. The students, ongoing seekers make the greatest teachers. Also people that have the grace to say, oh, I've changed my mind about this, or I learned something new all throughout their life. I think that's a fantastic way to be as a teacher. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that Raven Gramasi was criticized the most for, but it's one of the things that I respect him the most for is because he was very big on like the Strega and the Wicca. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know what? Like, I've had these experiences. I've changed my mind a little bit. Like, here's my new perspectives. Yes. Yes. In my own work, I've had that issue. I'm always evolving. Even with the podcast, when people are like, this happens all the time and it freaks me out. They say, I'm starting at the very beginning, which goes (laughs) all the way back to the beginning of 2013. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I say? I don't even I'm sure I don't even agree with myself anymore. Yeah, yeah, I come across that with my blog, too. There's old blog posts that will get revived, and I'll be like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> like I totally don't agree with that anymore. Um, but I, I keep it up because it's a record and because it does help people. And I think different perspectives are important, even if they're my own different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and where you are today might really resonate with where someone else is five years from now, and it might be valuable to them. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love, I I don't even remember where I saw this, but I was just cutting and pasting things to make some notes here. But you said that you came back to witchcraft after studying Eastern traditions and indigenous traditions. And I think that too is a really lovely way of rounding out modern witchcraft it's so modern it's so new in the larger scheme of things and i think 
this idea of the old ways can be better <laughs> fleshed out when you go off exploring Eastern traditions or indigenous traditions like you have. Yeah. And, you know, I studied a lot of new age practices and ideas as well. And um, this is something I, I come up against a lot, but I've come back to the idea of embracing a lot of new age stuff, um, a lot of things that the larger witchcraft community has sort of uh, dismissed and um, kind of sticks their nose up at. But a there's merit to a lot of the stuff in it and a lot of the practices and a lot of the techniques. And with my definition of the word witch, I consider them all witches because witch originally was an accusation. It wasn't something that, you know, you would embrace like the em taking on the mantle of witch nowadays is a reclamation mm -hmm. um, of the word. And if you were to take those, you know, those Reiki practitioners and those New Agers back into the Inquisitions, they would have been burned right away. They would have been tortured right away, and they would have been called witches. Absolutely. Uh, You're describing me, by the way. That I mean, that's, that's <laughs> how I, I became the hippie witch. And that's probably, too, why, you know, there are these gatekeepers of traditional witchcraft or just various forms of witchcraft, and, and they hang out on forums and blogs and social media with the idea of keeping losers like myself out. <laughs> like flaky, flighty, new agey people like are an irritant to them. Mm -hmm. And I came to witchcraft very late. I had been channeling for many years before I came to witchcraft. I'd had many psychic experiences, but actually calling myself a witch, I was very late to the game. So it didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> mm. It didn't upset me or make me question my path. It just made me lose interest in that part of that world. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, I can... Part of me can understand some of the apprehension and criticism of the New Age because occult practices tend to be very um, scientific. Um, you know, magic is the science and the art. So I think that a lot of New Age things are just dismissed as being completely... Yeah, not, not just fluffy, but undisciplined and sort of fast food. And I think that's a very narrow view of uh, New Agers and New Age practitioners. Um, I have come across many different spiritual people, and I have met extremely powerful self-described light workers. And I've met witches boasting power where I'm just like, I, you know, like you couldn't cast a spell out of a Scott Cunningham book, you know? <laughs> I've heard you mention, I watched a video of yours where you were talking about being a book nerd, basically, and loving books, which I appreciate. And you mentioned Scott Cunningham and Silver Raven Wolf in, yes. in the books that you were talking about. And I thought, that is cool. That's kind of what I'm saying, is not shaming people that are new, not right. like there's this weird shaming thing that goes on that I do think is the shadow of the witchcraft community. And I don't experience Absolutely. that because I've surrounded myself with people who are very loving and joyful and are excited about exploring and learning new things. So there's none of that attitude, which I love, but I do know it exists. <laughs> so mm. how have you what what has been your experience of that? Do you find that because you have participated in so many schools of witchcraft, let's say, do you find that that's a false idea that I have in my head about that and that that's actually a very loving, warm, welcoming community? Um, well, I think the problem is the Internet <laughs> in general. Just as we see on Twitter or any social media, the people that are the loudest are not necessarily the majority. So um, 
you know, whenever I see someone hardcore gatekeeping and policing other people's practices, it makes me stop and question their own practice. If people put as much energy into their own practice instead of trying to police and dictate other people's, I think that the world would be a very different place. Mm -hmm. I've seen it change, too, even online. I've seen more of an embrace of, like, pop culture, for example, being incorporated into discussions about magic in a way that I did not see in my beginning. Not the beginning, but my beginning. And I'm seeing it loosen up, even as the irritation is there at 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 witchcraft becoming a pop culture thing. It's kind of a strange paradox that people are loosening up and kind of pulling in as it's becoming appropriated for fashion, for example. Well, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. You know, I think that witchcraft itself is sort of its own spirit, its own conscious energy. And I think that it does use aesthetics. It does use um, trends and fashion and movies and media to draw people in. But not everyone who's drawn in is going to stay. Um, So it's sort of like um, I see those things as sort of a glamoury that the spirit of witchcraft casts. Mm. And it's it's almost like a challenge, like, can you get past it? You know, can you, um, are you going to get stuck there on, you know, taking cute Instagram pictures? <laughs> yes. Or, or are you going to dive deeper and do the work? Mm-hmm. And I think that a layman's general witchcraft for everyone is not necessarily a bad thing. Because at the heart of what witchcraft is, in its broadest form, is it's a sense of empowerment and it's a sense of connection. And I can't, I always struggle when people ask me to define what witchcraft or the word witch means, because I don't think, I think it was easier to define a couple decades ago than today. Uh, I think the, the term witch is very personal, that no one owns, no one claims. So it's very hard to say, you know, what what makes a witch and what doesn't make a witch. I have my own beliefs and my own thoughts, but everyone's mileage may vary a little bit. Absolutely. Ask a different witch, get a different answer. Let's get your answer, though. If, if every witch was exactly <laughs> like you, what would be, what would be oh dear. the definition <laughs> of witch? How do you see yourself? Why do you call yourself a witch? I have two definitions for that. So I have the definition that I give in my book uh, to explain the relationship between psychic ability and magic. Um, Oh, that was one of my questions. Perfect. (laughs) Which is that psychic ability is the perception of energy and magic is the manipulation of energy. So it's sort of two sides of the same coin. And I think that what's interesting is that people tend to focus on one side of the coin. So I've seen the witchcraft community become very fixated on the magic aspect, um, whereas uh, the New Age community is very focused on the psychic aspect. But they're very complementary. So I think it's sort of like the difference between speaking and listening. You can do both without the other, but it's a lot more effective if you can hear the person you're speaking to. That is a perfect way to describe it. But for me personally, uh, when it comes to the deeper words of witch, um, I think the witch is an intermediary uh, for the spirit world. I believe that the witch is a priest. So we don't need that intermediary for the divine. We are that for ourselves. Um, We are in charge of our own lives, we take responsibility for our own lives, and that means physically as well as spiritually. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we we look 
our practice looks different from the outside looking in, but that's exactly how I feel about it, which is again, why I say everything, (laughs) everything you put out really resonates with me (laughs) in a, yeah. In a validating way. I wrote something about you, (laughs) Uh a little sentence. I used to do something called the witch review, but I, I went looking for it because I wanted to see the articles of yours that I linked to. And I wrote Matt Oren writes for Pathios and has such a fresh challenging perspective on things i really appreciate the way he leans in to breaking the mold because you do you'll take like an idea that we all understand and then you're like wait a minute but what if it actually means this or you'll take it a little (laughs) bit deeper or you'll give it a different spin and um, i would really love it if you could just maybe i'll link to this for sure an article you wrote called meeting the devil for real but can you tell (laughs) us a little bit about the time you met the devil oh okay yeah so that's interesting because we started going uh dark at the beginning in kind of a depressing way (laughs) and now we're gonna go (laughs) dark in another way um how witchy I, growing up evangelical and growing up with uh, a lot of 90s witchcraft books, uh, there's this strong emphasis uh, that the 90s books and books before that placed on the idea that the devil has nothing to do with witchcraft, right? And that makes sense because of uh, the time period, uh, because the 90s was going through a satanic panic where witches were... If you identified as a witch, you could lose your children, your job, your house, um, you know, lots of horrible things. And lots of horrible crimes were being blamed on witches. And um, so I had this aversion or I had this idea really set in my head that, you know, the devil has nothing to do with witchcraft. The devil is just sort of um, a slander uh, from the Christian church of the uh, the pagan horned God. And I do believe that um, somewhat. So when I came back to witchcraft um, after coming full circle on my spiritual journey, um, I wanted to really connect with the horned God. And I was doing everything I could. I was doing offerings and devotionals and meditations and just nothing was happening. I wasn't it was like uh, getting a dial tone, you know, every time I, I tried to tune in. And I had some experiences, which are in the um, article, where essentially the horned god came to me and was pretty much like, I am the devil. So whether that means, means that this was a lesson for my own fear to get through, I, I think there's something a little bit deeper to that. Um, I think... Just as we reclaim the word witch, I often wonder if the horned god is reclaiming the word devil as a form of empowerment. When I say the devil, I don't mean the Christian adversary, the ruler of hell, the the cause of all turmoil and evil. But the devil, the word devil and its image of being like the horned god was very much a demonic um, a demonization of the church. And I think that when you look at the history and you see the Christians coming in and destroying all the pagan temples and, you know, um, pretty much taking everything over and ruining people's lives for a period because, you know, it's conquering and them saying that your God is the enemy of our God. Well, I maybe I I wouldn't use the word enemy, but to say your God is everything that our God isn't. I think there's sort of a truth in that. And I think that truth isn't so much that, you know, uh, witches worship Satan necessarily, but it's the idea that the devil is this pagan deity, this energy is in opposition of Uh, what the modern church has become and what their God has become and what has been done in their name, as opposed to being legitimately the enemy of 
the God that inspired those religions. Does that make sense? It, I'm kind of blame. No, it does. And I'm, I really am going to link to that article. I hope people read it because it's a whole journey that, that you can go on reading, reading this post. And there's really fun synchronicities that pop up. Like it's, it's an unfolding and I really love it. I reread it this morning and I was like, yes, it's so good. (laughs) I really truly believe I grew up Mennonite brethren. My parents are missionaries, so I can relate to this growing up in an evangelical home, although we did not identify that way, but similar, similar ideas with religion. I think it's a natural stop along the way if you have a sincere path as a witch to explore Satan. For me, like Satan became synonymous with Saturn and I started really, I spent a long time with Saturn and the devil card and the tarot and I have found, let's say in the last decade, like myself gravitating to both Jesus and Satan, which is really And it started with humor. Like, I thought it was funny, like a joke. (laughs) Um, And then it got serious. And then it became part of my spiritual practice, both. Yeah, totally. And I have this whole weird trip that um, would probably be too long to get into. And maybe I should write an article of. But I believe that Lucifer and Jesus are pretty much two sides of the same coin. So I almost see Jesus as that avatar of Lucifer. I just think that... The Jesus that is embraced by most Christians isn't necessarily the Jesus that originally was. It's interesting that they're both seen as light bringers. Yes. And they both, you know, yeah, they're they're light bringers. They both uh, gave gifts to humankind. There's even the comparison. um, I think it's a prophecy in the Old Testament that's talking about the Messiah that's saying, um, just as Moses lifted uh, the rod with the serpent on it, so will the Messiah, which is like, uh, you know, uh, uh, supposedly an allusion to the crucifixion. But it's interesting that, once again, you have that kind of serpent energy that's uh, linked to to Christ. And I don't know, I think it's a whole weird rabbit hole, but I'm also not a hard polytheist either. So. Mm. I love the the witchy rabbit holes. (laughs) Um, A a real quick one, just really quick, because I want to get into talking about your book. It's two parts. First is a question about your last name. Is that self-appointed and it doesn't have anything to do with one of my all-time favorite spiritual teachings, which is the never-ending story? So, yes-ish, no. Um, So it is a shorthand for a name that I received from Spirit um, that is private. Um, It's only spoken with spirits. No other human knows it. But the spelling that I chose was definitely influenced by the never-ending story, which particularly the book more so than the movie. The Orin was the talisman from the childlike empress. And on the back of it, it says, do what you wish. And it's this whole idea of, you know, finding one's true will and also the powers of imagination and the powers of uh, what the mind can do. The author, uh, Michael Endy, I think it's pronounced Endy, he was actually a Thelemite and an occultist. That makes so much sense because I was just about to say, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of just like a lot of early occultists, and we even see it nowadays uh, with modern occult writers, but oftentimes they will express things through fiction that are harder to express through direct writing. So even Crowley has been known to write uh, fairy tales and parables and stuff to try to convey things. And the never-ending story is just so rich with it. Yes. Um, it's it's also a call to me, a reminder to me to be humble and childlike and not to take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm just going to give a shout out to the Dark Crystal. Because I wanted to get yes. into this whole discussion <laughs> about pop culture. And you can say as much about the Dark Crystal as you want, but I know it's important to you. Uh, I just see that the clock is flying by because you're so fun to talk with. Um, 
Yeah, I I, I love the Dark Crystal. Um, <laughs> I uh, I don't know particularly where to go with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but it is it is an area that I nerd out on, both as fiction, but also also as 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 spiritual allegory as well. Um, and I wrote an article about that and. Perhaps maybe some other time we can chat about that when the clock isn't ticking. Oh, I'll dig. I'll dig up the article and I'll link to it. I'll, I'll put it right next to the devil. You guys can get the dark <laughs> crystal and meeting the devil for real side by side. <laughs> um, yeah. So you your new book that's coming out February twenty twenty. I can't believe we are almost to twenty twenty. That seemed it seemed so futuristic, and now the future is here, people. It's called Psychic Witch, A Metaphysical Guide to Meditation, Magic, and Manifestation, and it is definitely not fiction. No. Okay, so tell us about it. Okay. You mentioned some books that were uh, instrumental in influencing it already, like you brought up Christopher's Instant Magic, The Inner Temple of Witchcraft, Lori Cabot's uh, Power of the Witch. Love, 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 all those. So, um... A lot of it is my take on it, as well as uh, stuff that I feel aren't in those books that I've learned from other traditions that I've put in. Essentially, it's my guide of how to be very, very psychic (laughs) on every level, Um, how to essentially figure out what your strong clairs are, what your weak clairs are, and how to strengthen them. And then once you're kind of fully rounded in your psychic perception, reverse engineering that for magic. A lot of early occultists put emphasis on the power of the mind, and I find a lot of uh, modern day witches, particularly seekers, get kind of lost and caught up in the material aspect. And while I think tools and incense and, you know, Uh, concoctions are fun and hold their purpose. I think they can also be a distraction from uh, what they're intended to do and how they are to be fully activated and energized. So in the book, I actually, I tried really hard not to use any objects. I think the most I have is tea lights and um, a wine glass because Yes, those things have power, and yes, you know, tools and objects are powerful, but they're still symbolic, and they still need to be sort of activated and touched. Um, So I think that if you get the firm foundation for psychic perception and then energy manipulation, your practice with those fun, sensual things uh, is enhanced extremely. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why I think it's a net for me. It was such a natural progression from new age into witchcraft because I was learning to manipulate energy and and psychic input and channeling, like I mentioned. And then I I actually wanted to ground it in a sensual practice. But the the title alone, psychic witch, to me implies like upper chakra kind of stuff. Do you think that all witches are psychic, or ha- I actually, I'm interrupting myself. I think all people have the the ability to be psychic. That it's our natural state. But that's just my opinion. And and you wrote the book on it. So how do you feel about that? I absolutely agree. So in the book, I state very matter-of-factly that psychic ability and magic are our birthrights as human beings. Psychic ability is usually defined as extrasensory perception, right? So with that definition comes this assumption that our psychic senses are extensions of the senses, our primary senses. And I think it's actually backwards. I think that our psychic senses are the senses of spirit. And when we come into flesh, they kind of crystallize and then slowly kind of dull and retract to have the human experience. And then when we're done with our life, you know, our our senses are back. I think that um, just even reframing our idea of psychic ability is very, very important does that make sense? Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm listening with a smile on my <laughs> face. You said something about the Claire's very casually to you. And I, I'm yes. thinking about people who have no idea what you mean by that. Can you explain okay. that for us? 
So the psychic senses are usually uh, defined as clairs, which is a French word for clear. So um, when you're talking about psychic sight, it becomes clairvoyance, uh, clear sight. Um, So this is where it gets kind of into uh, weird territory and where I had to do a lot of research to really kind of wrangle in the ideas. And I do, this is a part where I do blame the new age community (laughs) and writers a bit because sometimes there's less of a focus on um, history and the history of words and where words come from. And so new words are invented when there's already a word for it, particularly with the aura. And that's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves, a very popular writer on the energy body has an explanation of the auric field and the writer discusses how there's an astral uh, body among the other ones and then later on there's a celestial body and the definition she gives for the celestial body is the traditional definition for the astral body and the astral body is given kind of a very vague meaningless description of what it means and even if you look at the the name astral astral means the stars so i I, and my book is very heavy on the aura and how the aura relates to the levels of reality and how it's a key of manifestation and sending out your your intention or your willpower through the different layers of your aura which travel through the different layers of reality and then how to crystallize that back down to physical reality wow i can't wait to read your book (laughs) i can't wait for everyone to read it too it feels like forever oh it sounds so (laughs) good though it sounds so good oh fyi everybody you can run over to amazon follow the link and you can pre-order the book right now so you won't forget and it'll just be like pow in your inbox in february yeah (laughs) like magic like magic (laughs) so you yourself do you find that you one of the clairs is stronger for you yeah so naturally and some of the clairs i divide in two and i think it's more about internal and external so my external clairvoyance is stronger than my internal clairvoyance and my internal clairvoyance is something i've had to really work on and strengthen um when i say external clairvoyance that's seeing energy seeing spirits seeing auras my other really strong um predisposition psychically is clairtangency. So the ability to feel energy as a physical sensation, usually on my my hands. When I was younger, I could tell where a spirit in a place was by sort of doing this almost like like psychic Marco Polo where I would like have my hands out and I would just kind of scan the room until I would feel it in my hands. I would feel the tingle in my hands and it was usually I would get some sort of emotional reaction, you know, that kind of goosebumpy, chilly feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started studying mediumship, I was really hitting a block with it until um, the person that was mentoring me was like, here, hold this, which was the item of someone who had deceased. And all of a sudden, bam, the information was just coming through from that psychometry, from that clairtangency. So those tend to be the two that I just am kind of naturally predisposed to. Uh, But I, I work on all of them. It's very much like a gym. It, you know, you, you got to work at it. And if you get out of practice, you can get a little rusty. That doesn't mean you ever fully lose it. Um, just like just because you aren't lifting weights every day doesn't mean you can't use strength in your everyday life. It just means it's probably not going to be at its peak capacity. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve with this book? I wrote the book from the viewpoint of what is the book that I wish existed, Mm. Um, which is funny because that's a lot of the feedback that I'm getting from other authors and elders that I've had endorse the book is that, you know, this is the the book I wish I had, which is extremely flattering and humbling. But I, I feel like psychic ability and the perception of energy has sort of been... I don't want to say lost, but it's been very much not at the foreground of witchcraft. 
So I've come across many witches who aren't sure if they've cast a circle, that aren't sure, um, you know, if the magic is actually doing anything or if they're just going through motions. And it's my hope that the book will help them to experience those energies. And then, you know, just magical ability and psychic ability are just so empowering on their own in someone's life. You know, psychic ability can help you gain clarity on life direction and life choices um, and uh, lead you on your spiritual path. And then magic. I mean, <laughs> magic is magic. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more transformative that someone can do uh, in their world, in their life than magic. So it's my hope to sort of bring those back to people and hopefully provide some new perspectives and some new angles of some concepts that are kind of brushed aside as beginners and haven't been given a lot of depth and a lot of really deeper, serious thought. Well, I think you're just the author to give us that book because of what I have been saying throughout this interview. You're so accessible and Kind, really, is a word that comes to mind. I don't, I, I feel like a welcoming vibe coming from you that I think it makes you the perfect person to teach people about these things with some depth. Yeah, and that, that was one of my angles, too, is I wanted the book to be accessible to everyone. So I wanted someone who knew nothing about psychic ability or nothing about witchcraft to be able to pick up the book and follow along. But I also wanted to dive deep, you know, um, and that's one of the feedbacks that I keep getting as well is that, you know, it's so balanced for, um, the beginner, but also the very seasoned practitioner, because I don't get that advanced in my book. I go deep in my book. So a lot of it is, uh, like I was saying, things that are seen as fundamental or maybe beginner things that people, you know, tend to go through in witchcraft, maybe in the early stages and just kind of move on. Um, but there's so much power in that. And it really is a foundation that everything, uh, builds upon. So you want that foundation to be as strong as possible and you can only do that by going deeper into it. Yeah. I don't think you're ever too far down your path to return to the fundamentals and go deeper with those foundational things. You can strengthen your path to return to the very beginning. Like we, it's a spiral. You keep returning to the beginning, but you go deeper and deeper and deeper with every return. Absolutely. And it's, it's sort of like, um, I like to compare it to, uh, a really good book or a really good movie where if you reread it or you rewatch it, you catch new things, yeah. um, you know, and you, things may click that maybe didn't it the first time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if people, if people want to go deeper with the mat or in wisdom, what is a good, I like to do this for people on the go that are listening, driving or doing chores. Like what's the best URL to find you? Uh, MattOrin.com, so M-A-T-A-U-R-Y-N, and all my social media is linked there. I am really Googleable. Um, I am all over social media and the internet. Nice, and there will be links too. But I like to do that for people on the go because that's how they listen <laughs> to podcasts. And then one last question is the question I ask everyone. I definitely consider being a professional psychic witch to. It, that's a dream life. You have created the kick-ass life of your dreams. It sounds like a fantasy, but oh no, it's real. <laughs> and you've created that for yourself. So what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Ooh, um, one thing. One thing, um, anything. Well, I think it's just a matter of um, the will, um, unwavering will, um, not giving up, uh, focusing solely on what you desire and feeding it that positive energy through actions and through intention and emotions. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed this a lot.
And I hope you all listening enjoyed it as well. Isn't he so interesting? I've been reading his articles for years, but talking to him was a whole other thing. I think he's such a cool person. And before I let you go, you know, we have to play a little bit of rock and roll from Spirit House Records. Johanna Warren, that's her label. And she is the Spirit House Records, I should say, is the official sponsor the musical sponsor of the Summer of Magic. And you can tell it's not that official because, hello, I'm pretty casual and low-key. But she was nice enough to say that we could use Spirit House Records music for the show this summer. And I've been getting a huge kick out of that. And, and I've been getting good feedback from you all about it, which makes it even more fun. And because Matt Oren was today's guest, I went to digging through the Spirit House records catalog to try to find something super witchy and i definitely definitely found it in evelyn francis's song i could feel you off her album seed it is 100 percent guaranteed to give you all the dark witchy feels so are you ready are you ready for all the dark witchy feels Have yourself an amazing rest of your day. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. Down your